0: name of Jesus welcome to the visitors and all the regular folk this morning good to have each of you here to worship the Lord I was thinking as I read through Kings I've noticed there's a lot of famines a lot of droughts a lot of things going on today we call it what global warming and uh, climate change and all these other we make up excuses and um, well we have a drought we'll haul water we're low on food we'll import food you know we always have a solution and maybe God's saying well you need to wake up I just want repentance and we're like oh we don't want to do all that work (laughs) you know we don't want to humble ourselves and pray we're going to try to be self-sufficient and um, I wonder if God's not speaking to us louder than we're listening and he's saying hey, I want my people to turn back toward me. So this morning I'm gonna try something difficult. I'm gonna try allow you into my brain a little bit and explain what I've been thinking and pondering about. Um, the title of today's message is Spiritual Dementia. Spiritual Dementia. And I, the, the idea was if a, if a Christian doesn't know who they are, they don't know where they are, and they don't know where they're going, Wouldn't that be a sign of something missing? That maybe they've lost their mind? The mind of Christ, that would be? So I have some questions. Have we forgotten who we are? I think it's just, I'm not saying we have, but sometimes it's good to ask ourselves questions and see where we're at. So my first question is, have we forgotten who we are? And our our immediate response is, well, no, I know who I am. I'm a Christian, I'm a child of the king, I'm a follower of Christ, um, then the list could go on of who I am. But if I say who I am and my actions don't show who I am, do I really know who I am? Can a child of the king act like the child of the devil? It's a serious question. And the path that leads to heaven is a narrow path. And we make all sorts of excuses about this path, and, and we've made it into a broad path. And we say, well, you know, I just don't believe a, a loving God would do this. And I just, I, I don't feel like that's the case. And, and we make up, you hear these things, but a refusal to believe something has never made it not a reality. And I can give you a hypothetical situation. You get a phone call and someone on the other end says, your best friend just died in a tragic car accident. And you could refuse to believe that, but it wouldn't change the fact if they had died in a tragic car accident. It doesn't change the fact. You can refuse to believe it all you want. And so there's many people, they get to places in scripture, and instead of obeying it, or confessing, or repenting, or whatever it is, They just say, well, I'm going to refuse to believe what it says there. Michael mentioned the aspect of forgiveness in his devotions Wednesday night. We had prayer meeting here. And he he gave us a little background of this uh, servant who went to his master and said, Master, I cannot repay my debt. Will you forgive me my debt? And his master said, yes, I will forgive you of your debt. And he said it was, in today's terms, it was millions of dollars of debt and, and his master just freely forgave him. And then he had a fellow servant and he wouldn't, he wouldn't forgive that fellow servant of the small amount of debt and he, he compared that to $15. His fellow servant, he owed him maybe $15. He couldn't forgive that $15 debt, but he, was owed, he owed his master millions of dollars. And I know grown men and women today that won't forgive the $15 debt ministers even sometimes, where they say, well, it, it just hurt too bad. It went too deep. It hurt my feelings. They didn't say they were sorry. If they said they were sorry, they said it in the wrong manner. They didn't approach me right. And there, there's all these different ways that this, this unforgiveness comes in. And I said, well, is that, if you say you know who you are and you say you're a child of the king, and you say you're a follower of Christ who on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But you won't forgive that $15 debt of your brother. Are you really, do you really know who you are? And there are times that when I strayed from God and I looked in the mirror, there, it wasn't a reflection of Christ. It wasn't a reflection of Christ. I wasn't who Christ wanted me to be. So how often do we forget where we are? There is a time that we will give an account. Um, as a youth, I would come home in the evening and there were times that there was an accounting that took place when I got home. Well, where were you? Well, why are you in so late? Who were you with? What were you doing? And we're given an account. It, on judgment day, it's, it's gonna be similar. What did you do for me in my name? What, where were you going? What were you doing? Why were you doing these things as as my child? And we'll give an account for our actions. Have we forgotten where we are? This world is not my home. This is not my political system. I'm living in a foreign culture with foreign values. When we forget where we are and we forget who we are, we begin to lose our identity. And not our personal identity, but the identity of Christ in us. If you look around at God's people, and, and if you're associating with God's people, today, in church here, it's kind of nice to be known as a Christian, right? If, if you're hanging out in church, sure. I'll take the label Christian uh, all the time. But the closer we get to the world, the less we like the label Christian. Is that an accurate statement? The closest, you, after, there's places that you might be going that a Christian shouldn't go. And so you're like, well, I'm not gonna be as vocal about being a Christian. Let's say that you're in a bar, and you're, you're sitting there in the bar, and the person looks over at you, and, and you're saying, well, I, I don't drink Bud Light because I'm a Christian. And he says, well, that makes sense. But that shouldn't make sense. A Christian shouldn't be in the bar, right? And, and that might seem like a far-fetched thing, but I, I saw real estate and people come up to me and like, oh, Dave, I'm a Christian, I need to pray about this house. And we start talking, they're like, well, I do like to drink a little bit, and I do like to party some, and I do like to do this and that. And they keep adding things that they start making excuses about their lifestyle. And I said, shouldn't our lives be an accurate reflection of Christ? And in Acts 11:26 26, it says, and when he had found them, he brought them unto Antioch, and it came to pass that the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Do you think the disciples said, well, I want to be called a Christian? Paul or Peter said, now I think we've we've been doing this long enough. I think it's time we get a name. We're going to call ourselves Christians. I think the people of Antioch were witnesses witness took note of those people's lives, took note of Paul and the others there and the lifestyle that they were choosing, and, and they labeled them and said, these people are followers of Christ. Let's call them Christians. Could that be said of us today? People looking on, are they saying, those people are following Christ? Matthew 24, 48. Uh, Rodney read this, and it stuck out to me, so I put it in here. But, and if, the evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servant, or not forgive them, and to eat and to drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Christian forgets that this is not his home, and starts getting comfortable and starts eating and drinking with the drunkard and starts living like the world around him. the end is not a pretty ending. Do we know where we're heading? Do we know where we're going? Do we know where the actions that we're taking are leading us? The the thing I see when I look at the world is they're they're here for a good time and not a long time and that's not a Bible verse That was actually, I think it started the lyrics from a 70s Canadian rock band. And I think it was probably set in rebellion. We're here for a good time, not a long time, so let's live it up. Let's party. Let's um, do whatever we want. And that's on the outside, but what about Christians? I've been amazed at the amount of professing Christians who claim liberty in Christ as an excuse to live like the world. And that, shouldn't, that should never be an excuse. It's, it's the exact opposite. Our liberty in Christ allows us to live above our sin, to be victorious over sin. Do we know who we're following? Or are we being led around? Um, 2 Peter 3.17 seventeen. Second Peter 3.17 And ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, beware lest ye also be led away with the air of the wicked and fall from your own steadfastness. When I I see people, I wonder who's leading them. Who's dictating what goes on in their life? Is it Christ or is it the world? And they're two drastically different directions. Have you ever walked into a room and couldn't remember why you were there? It's like... I do that more often than I would like to admit. <laughs> and I'll, I, but that can happen from time to time. I hope we're allowed to walk into a room and not remember why we're there. And in, I'll, I'll do that in times and then I'll completely start something totally different than I came in that room to do initially. And I was like, well, I see a project, so I'll just start working on that. Um, it might be all right for us to do in our physical life but if a Christian doesn't know why they're here or what they're doing or what they're here for, they're often floundering um, and, and just beating the air. Um, Paul talked about when he would fight, he didn't fight as one that just beateth the air. He had a purpose. When he ran, he ran a race and he knew his goal. He knew his purpose. And, and so many people, I think, are waiting for the church to give them a goal or a purpose. If, if you have Christ in your heart, you have a purpose. You have a goal. And, and the church can add to that purpose and goal, but as a Christian, there you have a direction that you're going. You, you shouldn't be just floundering a, a around. So this spiritual dementia, it's a soul-threatening condition, and this morning I think the earlier you recognize it, the earlier you can get out of it. Because in the latter stages of dementia, do people even know they have dementia? They, just, they don't even know. They don't even recognize that, where they're at. You could also maybe call it being deceived or uh, um, becoming deceived. Paul, when he was writing the church, and this is where all my questions arose, he would say stuff with such confidence. And I'll just read you some verses and then think, can Paul say the same thing about us? And I hope he can. But that, this is where all my thoughts arose from. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. So we have not received the spirit of this world. Can that be said of us today? We have not received the spirit of the world. Okay. 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Can that be said of us? And Philippians 1.6, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I've seen a lot of good works begun, but what about finishing it out? Which is more important, beginning or end? I think they're both equally important. If... God has begun a good work in you. It's only gonna come to fruition when he has ended that good work in you. We look at Solomon, and there's many examples in the Bible, uh, Saul, and many kings that began a good work, and then their heart turned from God, and they did not end in a way that we would want to end. So in my limited research on dementia, I learned that dementia is not a normal part of aging, okay? It's not a normal part. Maybe it's becoming a normal part. I don't believe everything I read anymore, um, so it could be a normal part of aging. In the Christian life, spiritual dementia is not a normal part of aging. I'll just skip ahead in my notes there. As you age, the normal progression is that you grow that there's growth that takes place, that knowledge increases, that wisdom increases, that understanding increases. And um, so in a Christian life where wisdom, knowledge, faith, temperance, all these things aren't increasing, there's a problem. So as we go through life, are we increasing in the knowledge of God? Are we passing these truths down to our children? Do we become wiser, or are we becoming just, well, I have enough, I'm satisfied, that's where I'm going to stop. One thing that that concerns me is in Psalms, it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think there's a growing, I don't know if it's a trend, or maybe it's been going on for a long time, but people are simply trying Jesus. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to see if it works for me. You know, it, I've seen it work for other people. They've had a lot of success serving Jesus. I have, they've had a lot of success walking with God. So I'm going to give it a try and see if it's the thing for me. Philippians uh, 1, 7 through 11. Philippians 1, 7 through 11, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may be approved of things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So this is what's supposed to take place. There's supposed to be growth and approved excellent and sincere, fruit bearing until Christ returns. Now, the best way I could explain trying Jesus I thought I would give you an analogy. Sometimes if I know something in the physical world, I can relate it to the spiritual world. So what I thought about is you've decided to get serious about your fitness goals. You've decided that you're going to become stronger. You're going to hire a personal trainer. He's been recommended to you by your friends that have tried it out. And and you're going to do this thing. And so you sign up, it's, it might be costly, but you sign up for the free trial. Why not? You know, it's not gonna hurt you. You sign up for the free trial, you're gonna get fit, you're gonna start working out, you're gonna do these things. So, so you sign up, and you're doing it. He, he sends you the plan, and, and you're excited about it. This is, this is the new me. And so you get your first day, your workout plan, and it's an arm exercise, and and it's something that you enjoy doing. So you're, you're doing your arm exercise and, and you get it done and you're like, that was really good. Uh, I, can, I can see how this is gonna work for me. And so the next day, it's a rest day. You don't wanna overwork your body. The following day, you get the program, um, it comes to you, and you notice it's a leg and back day. And you're like, well, this is a free trial. And I know what happened to me last time I worked my legs and my back. My back hurt and I couldn't walk for a week. So since it's just a free trial, I'm gonna skip legs and back day and I'll just go on. And so as it goes through the plan, whenever there's a hard exercise or something that we don't want to do, we just simply skip it. And, and we look, we like, well, and we get to the end of the month and we're like, these weren't the results I was looking for. You know, the guaranteed results and then the results that I receive, and I don't think about all the exercise that that I have skipped over in my free time. When people try Jesus, they're skipping over all the hard things. Because why would you do the hard things when you're just trying out Jesus? Why would you uh, enter any amount of sacrifice? Why would you give up those things that you really enjoy doing that God says, I want you to give that up. I want you to let go of that. I want you to have, I want you to be fully surrendered to my will. And I want you to do the hard thing. And if you want to grow like you see this godly brother over here growing, and you see him thriving, and you're like, man, I wish I was led by the Spirit like that guy was. He's doing the hard exercises. He's reading his Bible. When God taps him on the shoulder and says, I want you to let go of this in your life, he's letting go of it. When he comes to a crossroads in his life and, and he's, I'm not saying butting heads with God, but there's a crossroad and my way's going this way and God's way is going this way. I say, not my will, but God, God be done. And that makes a whole difference in a fulfilled life in Christ. It talks about in Second um, Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it says that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. But when you're just trying God, it's some scripture is given by inspiration of God and others I can explain away because I'm just trying it out. I don't, I can't, some step on my toes, some make me feel uncomfortable. And then what about the diet plan? Even if like, if you're exercising and you're getting serious about it and then your fitness coach comes to you and says, well, Well, Dave, um, I think you should cut out the chocolate cake. And I think you should maybe not sneak any more gummy worms. And you probably should lay off the chips a bit. And, you know, it's a free trial. And I like my chocolate cake. And I like my gummy worms. And a few chips aren't going to hurt me now and again. We say the same thing about sins we enjoy. Far too often. Jesus says, I want you to get rid of this. And and it's like, well, that thing brings me pleasure. That thing makes me feel good. That thing is something that I don't think is going to hurt me in the long run. And he says, I want you to give it up. You know, sin has a certain amount of enjoyment or pleasure, or no one would intentionally do it. But since it has a little bit of uh, allurement, a lot of people are sucked into it. You can't lust, follow your sinful passion, have fits of anger and to continue to grow closer to God. The one reason I think maybe spiritual dementia is becoming so prevalent is many people don't take, make it out of the trial phase of trying Jesus. Because if you're just trying him, it's not going to be fulfilling. And it's not because of it's Christ's part. Christ's part If you want it to work, it's full surrender. He wants all of you. He wants everything you have. And once you surrender completely, you will find the peace and the fulfillment and the enjoyment and the results that you're looking for. But until that point, you can't find it. It's not there. And so many people get so close and then give up because they're not seeing it. Well, in Paul's day, being a genuine Christian cost you your life. A lot of times when people signed up to be a Christian, they could get burned at the stake. They could be fed to wild, wild animals. They could have their heads chopped off. Um, there was many things that this decision wasn't made lightheartedly. But as the world makes inroads to the church, the church is struggling to find doctrines that they are not willing to give up. And And I hear, well, I'll die for my faith, but I won't give up. This area, I'll die for my faith, but I have a lot of good conversations on social media. And so if there's a social media thing that I'm falling and sinning in, I'm not willing to give it up, but I'll die for my faith. Um, if my neighbors want to party a little bit, I'll die for my faith, but I'll also party with my neighbors a little bit. Like Peter talks, your neighbors look at you as kind of weird because you don't run to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. But do our neighbors still look at us being strange? I don't know. When I become more concerned about what will bring me pleasure and satisfaction and less concerned about what will bring God joy and satisfaction or what in my life will bring God glory, I'm beginning down the paths of spiritual dementia. Revelations 2 Uh, 1 through 5. We have the church of Ephesus there. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walked in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how... Thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake, and hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." But this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcome will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, here we have a little bit of a rare case. We have a church that's zealous for God. They're keeping sin out of the church. They're keeping a pure church. They're trying people that say they're Christians and are not. They don't like the deeds of the Nicolaitans and they were still missing something. I think it became, maybe this is my church, and I'm gonna do everything I can to keep it pure, instead of this is God's church. And that has to be our focus. This is God's church here. And together as a body, we need to keep it pure, but it's because of our love for Christ. It's because of Christ dwelling within us. And, and sometimes uh, overzealousness can get us somewhere where we shouldn't be. All our actions have to be for a love of Christ and for what he has done in our heart. Well, what is the remedy for spiritual dementia? I think first you need to remember who you are. Who are you? And I've heard it said, well, well, um, I've been angry, I've committed sin, I've lusted, I've envied, but that's not who I am. Well... <laughs> what you do in secret, when no one's watching, when no one knows, is who you are. It may not be who we want to be, but it's who we are. So hopefully, who we are on Sunday morning is who we are Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Just because someone doesn't see what we're doing, God sees everything. And, and man says, well, that's not who I really am. Well, if we're doing it, it's who we really are. And so God says, I want to purify your life so that who you really are is who I want you to be. Now, there are times when we get in with the wrong crowd and we are who we aren't really. Because it says evil evil, uh, communications corrupt good manners. So I've hung out with youth before and I did things with certain groups that I wouldn't normally do, but it's what the group was doing. So be careful who you associate with. If you struggle with anger, I had some, uh, just some suggestions. You could develop a hatred for sin. You could develop a hatred for lying. You could develop a hatred for um, dishonesty. But don't let it stop there. Let it change you and develop that in relation to your love of God. So I hate sin, but I'm going to allow that hatred for sin to grow my love for God. Not, there's a lot of people that do things they hate. One, because they're addicted to it. But two, because they're not ready to fully surrender to God. And so they do things that they hate doing, but they just continue to do it because they feel like it's going to be too much to make it right. Remember where we are. We live in a hostile world. The enemy is closing in. The end is drawing near. And even if the Lord would not return for a thousand years, I don't think anyone of us here will be here in 110 years from now. I think, unless some of you get really old and they come out with some new drugs or something, we're all going to be our life expectancy will be passed in about 110 years. And that's, that's giving you the benefit of the doubt. Some might die young, some might die suddenly, some might die of a good old age, but there is a judgment coming. So many people say, well, I'm gonna get ready before the Lord returns. Well, who knows when he's gonna return for you? There's, there's, you might as well be ready today because he could return for you today. Um, stay ready, know where you are. Remember where we're heading. 1 Corinthians nine twenty four. Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So often I think we read the Bible and we have no idea what awaits us in heaven. We cannot grasp the glory that awaits the faithful. And so when they these men that strive for Olympic medals, they're temperate, They exercise, they give their lives to obtain what? A little gold medal around their neck and some praise of men. Do you know the the rewards that await us in heaven? Not that that's our focus, but I've, I've been surprised at the amount of people that say, well, if I can make it to heaven, I'm willing to give up any rewards. I just want to make it to heaven. And I I think the rewards are going to be far greater than we can imagine. And not that that's our focus, but there's something special that awaits us. It's, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. And it it awaits the faithful. And it's going to be worth it all. Turn with me to Colossians. We'll stay in uh, Colossians 1. I think it brings a lot of this together. Starting at verse 9. Verses 9 through 12 kind of give us our goal. We, I, I think it's good for us as Christians to have our eyes on the prize and be goal oriented. So this is my goal for you this morning. Uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 12. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and in increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us to be, us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. What a goal, right? Knowing the will of God, being filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding, to walk worthy in a way that's pleasing to God, to live our lives that's in a way that's producing spiritual fruit, strengthened by the power of God, and patient and long-suffering. You know, this is the, this is the opposite of the person with spiritual dementia that I was talking about. If we have these goals in mind, we'll be increasing in the knowledge of God. And this can only happen of a, by a, through an actual conversion and where the blood of Jesus has transformed our lives. Uh, continue reading there in 13 to, through 14. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us to the kingdom of his dear Son, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And so it's only through the blood of Jesus that we can have this forgiveness, that we can live a life that's holy before God. For what purpose? Well, I think he gives us the purpose in the following verses For by him were all things created. Verse 16, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in him all things, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of the cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him. I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So what is your purpose? To bring God, to bring God glory. To You were created by him for his glory. Then the next verses um, tell us that there are some conditions for this. 21 through 23. And ye that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you wholly unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And then there's an if. <laughs> if ye continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, which was preached to every creature which is un- under heaven, wherefore I, Paul, and made a minister. This thing of, I, I talked about floundering a little bit before, and it says, if you remain grounded and settled. That's not a floundering person. You're grounded in the word of God, you're settled that Christ is your anchor, he's your hope, he's where everything is centered, and you have a Christ-centered life. That's what we need to have. We need to have a Christ-centered life and that we are grounded. It says, if you continue in the faith. It doesn't say that you're going to. If you do, we need to. Let's continue in the faith. This be not moved, I had to think of what Jesus said in John 15. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. That's so true. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. But it says, If any man abide not, or if he is moved away from the vine, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, part of the problem with this is in the church, as you can look like you're part of the vine and not be part of the vine. You can look like a branch that has leaves and sprouts on it, but it's not bearing any fruit. Are you still part of the vine? How long can you not bear fruit and be part of the vine? In Jesus' mind, not very long. He's willing to, for a couple years, you know, let's let's fertilize it, let's work with it, let's have some long suffering. But if there's no fruit, it's a sign of being detached from the vine. Because if we're attached to Christ, if our lives are Christ-centered, there will be fruit. There will be signs of growth and health. Acts 20, 22, I think we need the same determination as Apostle Paul. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So if you knew that everywhere you went, bonds and afflictions were waiting for you, what would you do? Well, this is what Paul did. But none of these things move me. I like that. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I received of the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. None of those things moved him, and he wanted to finish the course with joy. That's what we want. We want to be able to finish the course with joy. We have a message to share, uh, and it's an exciting message. The gospel message is exciting. And when we go out to our neighbors and we tell them about the, the gospel singing, my goal is that they come tonight and they hear the gospel message. That's, that's exciting to me. And God can uh, use the, the power of song and verse to, to present the gospel mes- message to a person that will never come and listen to preaching. And so um, when, I, and when I come to these people, it, I get... I heard the kids reading the story of the Ninets, or the, they're basically Eskimo people. And they, they were presented with the gospel and they were excited about it because they had never heard it before. And there's something in man that longs for the gospel message. And Jesus is just waiting for us to present it to him. Now, I want you to think about something in closing. And I want you to imagine that there's two sides because that's how it is in life. Jesus is on one side, Satan's on the other side. There's two paths. There's not more ways to go. Jesus versus Satan. Who wins? Jesus. Every time, right? That's not even a question. It's not even a close competition. But now add man who wants to do his own desires and put him on Jesus' side, which isn't how it works. But with that man and Satan a man that wants to do his own desires, and Satan, who wins? Satan, right? If, if you're bound and determined to do the desires of your flesh, Satan wins every time. Now let's go a little further. In the life of a Christian, how much evil can a Christian harbor and still be a Christian? You sure? None at all. I put the, you know, I gave it a little leeway, which I don't think there is. But I said, let's say there's 5%. You know, 95%, you're sold out for Christ. Just a very little. No, that doesn't work. If you have any of evil in your life, and you know about it, and you're not actively working on getting that evil out of your life, Satan's Satan's winning. Christ, in order for Christ to win in your life, he needs 100% of you reverse sides, how about Satan? How much good can be in a person and Satan still win? Can a person go to church and Satan still win? Can a person pray and Satan still wins? Can a person read their Bible and Satan still wins? Can a person dress right and Satan still wins? Can a person fellowship with Christians and Satan still wins? The percentage Satan wins at a low percentage because he just needs a little bit of you. He just needs that one area that you won't give up for Christ. And a, a good example of that was the rich young ruler. And he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why well he had a question in his mind. He's like, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Well, why callest thou me good? thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother. And he said, I've kept all these from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he saith unto him, yet thou lackest one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now part of the problem is he didn't recognize what treasure in heaven meant. It's way better than treasure on earth. And it's something we, we fail to recognize so often. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was rich. And when Jesus saw that, and when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly th- shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Jesus wanted this area of this man's life. It was the one area he wouldn't let go of. It could be riches, but it could be many other things in our life. Do you know that God's asking you to give up something? You're saying, I don't want to let it go. Just that one thing. I'm a good person. I go to church, I fellowship with God's people, I dress right, I look right, but there's one thing I don't want to let go of. Jesus wants you to let go of that one thing, because for true fulfillment, he wants 100% surrender, and then there's glorious things that await the true believer. God bless you as you serve him.